0: Today's episode is brought to you by Batch Dialer. Receive unlimited outbound dialing free for seven days. Go to batchdialer.com forward slash Dave or use code DAVE when signing up. Reach anyone, anytime, from anywhere. Make and receive calls from anywhere in the world using your online browser. Maintain a local presence while working remotely by using local area codes and local phone numbers. You can even get your virtual assistants to do this for you. Head on over to BatchDialer.com forward slash Dave or use code Dave at checkout to receive unlimited outbound dialing free for seven days.
1: All right,
0: guys, welcome back to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. David Dodge and Mike Slane, both here today, coming today to talk to you about the importance of making offers, episode 179.
1: All right, all right. Dave, how are you, man? I'm doing good, Mike. I'm doing really good.
0: This is the fourth podcast today. That's too many podcasts. The first three were all about wholesaling, marketing, marketing, Um, motivated sellers, Mm -hmm. right? We didn't touch a whole lot on, on making offers Mm -hmm. in those, in those episodes, but I'm glad we're talking about it now because making offers is so important, especially if you're new, you know, when it comes to wholesaling, you got to have something in your inventory to be able to sell to make a profit, right? If you don't have control of any asset. It's it's very difficult to get to that fifth and sixth step of wholesaling, which is selling it and
1: getting paid. That's exactly right. And I look at wholesaling, you have to look at wholesaling your wholesaling business just like any other business. When you walk into the store or the doors of Walmart, if the store shelves are completely empty, if everything's barren, Walmart didn't make any offers on products. They didn't they don't have any inventory, right? So they have nothing to sell. Guess what guys? That's you as a wholesaler if you don't make offers and get properties under contract. If you have nothing to sell, you're out of business. You're, out of business. you're not making any money that week or that month or however long you don't have a property under contract. Get something under contract. That's the that's the moral it's of the simple. story. It really is. Yeah. yeah. So the amount of offers that you make is going to be correlated to
0: the amount of deals that you're going to do. I mean, it's so simple. So, you know, this is a numbers game. And we talk about that whenever we are talking about our marketing, right? We talk about that when we're talking about our appointments, right? We talk about that whenever we're negotiating. It's always a numbers game. Well, it's the same way with offers, right? So if you send one offer a month and you have a 20% chance of your offer getting accepted on average, well, it's going to take you five months before you typically get an offer. But if you're making five offers a week with that same average, you're going to get it in a week. Absolutely. Right? So... You know, here at our company, we make three to five offers every single day. Um, Last night, while I was laying on my couch, uh, we had two team members that were working and I kept getting notifications of them making offers. And it was the best notification to get because it's like, okay, cool. Someone is making an offer on a property. You know, the seller doesn't typically like our offer. Right. But we make it anyway and we anchor low and we start to build rapport and then we go up from there you know, it, it, it's very difficult to come down, but going up is always easy. But by getting these offers
1: over, it helps us with the numbers game, which is what we're talking about. And to me, an offer also helps you establish credibility. Like I know that sounds kind of funny, especially for a new wholesaler, but you got to think about uh, if this person gets 10 postcards, because again, there's, they're probably not the only person. You're probably not the only person in your city sending out postcards. So let's say you're you're one of three or four people that actually answers the phone and shows up. Right. Well, guess what? Then of those three or four people, maybe one of them's new. Maybe one of them's a pro. Well, the new guy, he probably isn't going to make an offer. He's going to be scared. He's going to be double, uh, double checking his numbers, triple checking his numbers. Not going to get that offer out in front of him. So put that offer out there. You're there to buy the house. You have to make an offer to do that. Mm-hmm. Again, I think it's just it's extremely important. Um, I, I don't know. You just can't overemphasize that. So let's talk about maybe just the different ways that you can make offers. Oh, absolutely. What, absolutely. what I really mean when I say make an offer, because what I really mean um, is is get it in writing and put a full contract out there. Like send a contract. Yeah. So but that's not the whole story, right? Right.
0: So we're we're going to go look at three properties today, Mike. You're going to go to one or two of those with me, yes, sir. And we're going to make three offers today. So we're going to put it in writing and send them over and the whole the whole nine yards. So. Typically, when we make offers, we um, always try to send, in, send them in writing, regardless if we make a verbal. Um, I'll make verbal offers on the phone before I even see properties, but they'll typically have spreads. They'll typically be 50 to 60% of maybe a Zestimate, something along those lines, to let them know that, hey, I am willing to buy, but I need a discount. Otherwise, you know, you can sell it on the retail market with an agent, and it may or may not sell, and it may or may not be quick, and it may or may not be fun. Uh, but if you want to sell it to me at a discount, I'll happily make your life so incredibly easy and I'll give you the, you know, an, an amazing amount of convenience by doing all the work for you and getting that deal done. So we make offers verbally. We typically do that with a spread from the get-go. Next, we'll go out and we'll view the property and we'll maybe tighten that spread or give a fixed number on the appointment. And then we always will send it in writing. So we typically try to get the email address of the seller right in the beginning, like when we first make contact and we say, oh, hey, thanks for calling. What's your <coughs> excuse me? What's your name? What's your phone number? Because we get disconnected. And oh, if we're going to send you an offer, because again, we always approach it like we're going to buy it. You know, we always say, hey, we can't wait to come on and view your house and make an offer to buy it. Or like when we're ending that call, it's I can't wait to do business with you and buy your house, you know, without even knowing a whole lot about it. We always make it past tense, like we've already done it. And it helps solidify in their in their mind that, you know, we're gonna get this done for them. We're gonna solve this problem. So again, we make offers in spreads uh, from the get-go. We'll maybe fine tune that offer on the appointment. And then we always send it over in writing. Um, I think it's very important to send your offers in writing because it helps you follow up with those individuals in the event that they don't accept that offer. And also like Mike said earlier, if there's competition, you know, and 10 people go walk through a property, And, you know, we're the only ones that send an offer. Now, this doesn't happen a lot, but, you know, we may get picked because of the fact that they see that we're capable and our offer might not
1: even be the highest of those offers. Well, and this is this is I'm going to go all the way back to the whole credibility packet thing, Dave. So this is what is so powerful. Um, My house that I actually live in. So it was a it was a property that um, I know these guys were shopping the offer around. And what I saw in the house after I closed on it was one other of the big investors here in town, their credibility packet was a folder with their little brochure and their offer, uh, you know, written in it or their contract written in it and mine. They were both in the drawer just sitting there. I mean, again, it's huge. So who's going to win that deal? It's one of those two. It's one of the people who left something behind. They're not going with the other three or four or five people that they interviewed over the three or four or five months that they were trying to shop this house. That's right. Again, because their motivation, if somebody inherits a house, let's just talk about somebody who inherits a house. They may not have a motivation that is, I need to sell, I need to sell, I need to sell this today. But they are the ideal motivated seller. They have a house. They want to sell it. They don't want to fix it up. There's a pretty good chance they're a motivated seller. So they are, and uh, every
0: week they own it. The need increases a little bit because they have bills that start adding up. That's excellent, and, and, Dave, and that's, I love that. And that's that. really where it comes from. So, the, so
1: they are motivated, but they're not necessarily trying to sign today, right? They don't, they don't know how motivated they are until they, they know until they get that tax bill. The tax bill is the big. one. Oh shoot, there's another
0: two grand. Yeah, we have insurance maybe not so bad. Five, six, seven, eight hundred. Yeah, or right. The, Utilities maybe a hundred a month, two hundred a month, not crazy. When that eighteen hundred dollar tax bill comes though, it's like, whoa, let me rethink yeah. why I'm having, why
1: I'm owning a vacant house. That fifty thousand dollar offer sounds way better. Way than better. Than that's another, money th- in another. versus
0: money out, and that's another thing that we always do, guys. I'm going to interrupt for one second. Go Mike. For it, man. On our follow up, is we ask the sellers, you know, are you getting tired of owning it yet? Because we know they're paying taxes, we know they're paying insurance, we know they're paying utilities. And if it's and if it's rented, we know they're paying a ma- they're paying either a management company and or for maintenance on the property. Owning properties is a headache if it's not done right, right? It's it's a it's headache. Expensive, yeah. It's expensive if you don't. So you could, you know, properties are assets when they are rented and cash flowing. But when they're not rented and cash flowing, they're not assets, they're liabilities. So even when we buy a property at a discount, a big discount and we're rehabbing that property, It's a liability the entire time. It only becomes an asset to us on the day that we close on it and sell it and actually realize those profits. So, you know, it's all about just making offers, guys. You have to make a ton of offers to be consistent with your offer making. Um, And it's a numbers game like we had started this podcast with. You know, you want to go get a deal hanging bandit signs, you're going to have to hang hundreds of them, right? Same thing with mail. You have to send hundreds or thousands of mail pieces. You know, you're going to have to be consistent in making offers is the same way, but I love following up with people, you know, asking, you know, how much the tax bill was, or, you know, if the, if paying the insurance and the utilities every month is, you know, hurting them and to the, you know, again, we're here to offer a solution, but I also like following up with people that we've made an offer to, because it just makes it so easy. People hate getting phone calls for something they're not wanting to deal with. So you can just be very direct and to the point, Hey, Mike. I haven't talked to you in three months. I remember going out looking at your house on Main Street. At the time, you were asking 90. I offered 65. Has anything changed? Right?
1: Exactly. Mike's not going to hang exactly. up on me.
0: He's going to say, wow, this guy didn't ask how my day was. He doesn't necessarily care. He's getting right to the point. I can answer yes or no or go from there and just keep it, make it direct. Keep it simple, right? Be polite, but don't go out of your way to, to, you know, to chase a deal either. That's another thing that I talked about on our previous podcast, 80-20 principle. 20% of the deals are going to have 80% of the profits. So when you go chasing them, you're just eating that up. You're just wasting time. So, you know, make offers and just know that you are also, this is something that I want to bring up too, Mike, know that as an investor, as a wholesaler specifically, you are offering a crazy level of convenience to individuals. So you have to demand a discount. You can't go in and offer to close fast and pay cash and pay retail. You'll lose money
1: every time. Without an inspection. You will lose money
0: every time. So what I'm getting at here is know your value. And when somebody isn't willing to trade you a discount on their property, don't go in and offer to close in three days and pay cash. Maybe ask for 30 days or 60 days, right? Until they want to come down on their price the amount of discount you get needs to be equal to the amount of convenience that you're offering these individuals. So, you know, we 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 quit chasing deals about two three years ago, Mike.
1: Yeah, it it's funny because I feel we lazier
0: about probably it. do less deals in the hindsight, but we're also not chasing deals that do that make one or two grand for thirty hours of work. Exactly, and it's it's to some us it's
1: worth it. Some of those deals are just such headaches too. When you're chasing it and really trying to push one to work, it's just not worth it. It's not, you know, and, and, and you.
0: sometimes it's not a win-win whenever you overwork and get underpaid. It's a lose for you. Exactly. You That's might win. At, you know what yeah. I'm saying? You might win by getting the seller of property sold and by finding a buyer a deal. But if you're doing a ton of work, it's not a win for you if you're not getting paid appropriately.
1: Exactly. So again,
0: pull back on your level of convenience if the discount isn't there. How do you know you make an offer and you follow up? It's that simple. So make more offers.
1: This yeah. is the bottom line. That's it. That's it. Uh, Make more offers. So let's briefly talk about this because we've talked about it. Uh, I mean, we've talked about it at uh, Nauseam in the past on the MAO formula. And this is how you determine your offer, right? Give it to me. So the MAO formula is your maximum allowable offer. And you calculate that out by taking your ARV, your after repair value. You multiply it by a discount rate. We start with 70%. We're taking 30% off. So you're going to multiply that after repair value times 70%. And then you're going to subtract out the repairs. Then you're going to subtract out your wholesale fee. So, let's start with a hundred thousand dollar house. Let's say it needs ten thousand repairs, and we're going to do a ten thousand dollar wholesale fee. Well, guess where that comes out to, guys? Fifty thousand dollars. Half. Half. Mm-hmm. Dave, we talked about this. I, don't, I think we were chatting with a student. We Talking about this this morning too on different different, you, different show. Yep. Where the offer, it, it's almost embarrassing, but it almost always like the quick math, the easy math. Pull up his estimate. Estimates are terrible. I get it, guys. Pull up his estimate or uh, whatever your MLS comes up with for the estimated value. That's how we use a spread too, 50 to 60%. And cut that thing in half. Yeah, and and by going in at 50-60%,
0: you're you're giving them a range, right? So what what I do is let's say in this scenario, hundred k ARV, Mike, you gave us the numbers. You know, I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna say, listen, I'm typically buying houses in this neighborhood or in this part of town for 50 to 60 grand. You know, there's a lot of other houses out there that I can pick up. So if you're not willing to sell me yours, at, you know, in that ballpark, then, you know, I don't really want to waste your time. Thanks for calling type of thing. If they come back and they say, well, can you do 65 or even 70? It may work, right? But if you wait for them to tell you what they're asking, it's typically going to be 90, 95. It's, n- it's never, ever been below what I'm willing to pay ever. So I don't even ask for, off- for, for their asking price necessarily anymore. I'm curious, but I just kind of go in with, Here's what I'm willing to pay my in the ballpark. And if I'm in the ballpark, even if it's the low side of the ballpark, there's some level of motivation there. And if I'm not in the ballpark, well, then let's send them an offer anyway and let's follow up with them. But let's not waste time setting the appointment and going out and building rapport and doing all these things if we're not in the ballpark. Again, this comes back to convenience and discounts. Why go do all that and offer convenience to somebody that's not willing to give you a discount? It's simple. Right. But again, we always are going to make that offer. That's awesome. That way, when the VAs follow up or we follow up or whoever's following up, um, you know, they know who we are because they've received an offer from us. And now we have some talking points. Hey, you got our offer in the past. We're just calling to see if anything has changed. Um, You know, maybe we could even pay a little more than this. Right. But but again, we're not going to pay 90 cents on the dollar. Start at 50 to 60. Maybe we'll migrate up to 70 on the highest. Right. Depends on the repairs. Right. But it just helps, you know, let people know where we're at.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great strategy, Dave. And that way, again, you are, you're setting expectations, you're anchoring, kind of like you mentioned before, you're anchoring your number low at, again, that 50%. It's like, holy smokes, I didn't know, I can't imagine selling my house at 50% of what it's, what it's worth, even though the thing needs 30 grand worth of work. Right. I mean, people people don't really understand that. They look yet, at
0: estimates and they don't in count, incorporate the cost to sell. Or the cost
1: to get that number. And that's a big one, guys. And that's a big one. Cost worth, to sell alone could be 10%. Worth discussing mm-hmm. with sellers. Because again, an agent, I mean they're gonna agent or agents rather, you're gonna knock six percent off the price right there. Then if there's any seller concessions, meaning uh, they want something fixed after they do the inspection report, Dave's right, it's ten percent. One right or off two the top. more percent. So you have
0: title fees and you have to pay your taxes and your insurance and all the are you know, all these other bills, holding costs during that time. You're looking at typically nine to ten percent is the cost to sell a property. So the problem that a lot of sellers have is that Mike they see that number, they see that hundred thousand dollar ARV's estimate, but they're not taking ten percent off to sell it, and they're not taking off the thirty thousand in repairs. Exactly. Right, and then so so that thirty thousand in repairs is thirty grand. That ten percent is ten thousand. That's forty thousand off. So even if they sold it at sixty grand there's still no profit for the investor.
1: Yeah, that's the other So you have
0: to take in another 10%, and that usually will get eaten up if you miscalculate your ARV or your repairs. And that's what's cool,
1: and I like... You've one of the things I the I like about Dave and our strategy, Dave says it very well, It's like, you're, you are understand I'm an investor and I have to make a profit. Like, again, he's very, very clearly states that, and again, people have to be okay with that. Like, they have to know that about you. Although well, I'd rather them
0: know that now than after three
1: appointments
0: and and conversations or three hours. And then just to disappoint them to say, well, I could pay 50 to 60 and they're asking 90. It just doesn't make sense. So I like to take the overly transparent approach. Some may say it's a bold approach, but I just look at it like it's an honest approach. When a seller calls, I say, hi, I'm Dave. Thank you so much for calling. I appreciate your time. I'm going to do everything I can to help you. Okay. However, as an investor, I know that I have value and convenience and I'm willing to trade it to you for a discount. And that's it. It's period. I don't pay retail is how I usually sum that up. I don't pay retail. However, if you are willing to, you know, work with me, I can make your life very easy and we can do this and we can create that win win and we can solve the problems that we need to solve uh, together and we can create win wins. It's simple, right? But at the end of the day, in order to get there, you got to send offers. You have to communicate your offers if your offer isn't embarrassing, it's probably too high. You guys have heard this before, <laughs> that is, but it
1: rings so incredibly true. Well, and it's hard to do. It's and you really can always hard. come up. It's really hard for people to do that when they're starting, to make an offer that they know someone isn't going to like. It is really hard. Get over it. Get over it. Just get over it because, quite frankly, you're not going to make money if you can't make an offer that someone doesn't really like. Absolutely. you got to get over period. it. I mean, period. Again, they will not accept if it doesn't make sense for them in the long run. Right. So yeah, they may not like it. Which they is going to which, which
0: is going to be the same the same outcome, right? Is if you come in high and try to go down versus come in low and have the ability to come up. They're still only going to accept what they're going to be able to accept. That's great. So it just makes sense to come in hey. and anchor low and work your way up versus give them false expectations. Another thing is is if you come in low and you're kind of far apart, you have other tools in your belt like option agreements or joint venture agreements to work with that seller or even refer to somebody else. Great point. You have so many other tools, right? But if you come in high and then you try to negotiate down off of your inspections, it's just difficult. And it it basically creates animosity. I would prefer there never to be animosity. And I'd prefer me to come in with the approach of, let me try to help you, Mr. or Mrs. Seller. Mm -hmm. Here's what I'm willing to pay. But, you know, we're going to do inspections. And these inspections may or may break the deal. I'm going to tell them straight up. But if it does break the deal, they're already essentially hoping it's sold. And maybe they're willing to either give me a slight break or more time. Oftentimes, it's not price. It's time for us as wholesalers. We just need a little bit more time to get our people through to get it sold. And again, if you are transparent from the beginning, you know, whenever somebody calls on the buyer side and says, I can't close today, you know, typically if you're a wholesaler, you start panicking, Mm -hmm. panicking. You're like, fuck. This is a explicit podcast. It is? Sorry about yeah. that. But fuck, what do I do now, right? Like the seller thinks I'm closing. I haven't had that, that feeling in like two or three years because you're the same way, Mike. We go in and we tell them, hey, I'm going to bring in a partner. I bought 95 houses last year, right? I didn't need any of them. But I wanted them because I had the right price. But I did so many because I have so many partners. So if one of my partners decides to make changes their mind, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna find a new partner. Well that's what's good. But it doesn't about, make me panic because I just tell them, hey, they they screwed me or us or whatever, or they just aren't a good buyer. But guess what? We typically get non-refundable earnest money and I don't ever keep it. I just give it back to the seller to buy another month or help pay the rent or whatever exactly. it is. It buys goodwill. It buys goodwill. So what's the point?
1: Two things I want to hit on with Dave saying that is it's awesome to have partners in this business. And again your partners can be your end buyers. But again, it's a great strategy to mention that up front, again, being more candid with your seller, because you can say, listen, if you're a young guy like Dave and I, especially when we're starting out, it's like, well, I'm pretty young. I don't have money. I got to bring in partners. Like, obviously, looking at me. You know, I couldn't buy 100 houses by myself. Yeah. Like, who's got money for our 100 houses? Barely buy two or three, you know? So again, okay. that's why I have partners. And that's why it's easy to explain, <laughs> hey, I have partners that have more money than I do. They're going to come in and help me buy this house. They're going to help us get this deal closed. So again, it's great to be more candid up front. Again, we like that strategy because, again, it's, it's just more honest. The other thing I wanted to mention on on offers and kind of circling back to making offers and the importance of it is how cheap I am. I am super, super frugal. And the reason I bring this up is we spend a lot of money on marketing. So, Dave, when we spend all this money on marketing, if I don't have an offer put in writing or an offer sent on every yeah, person that calls the money phone, into a fire. throwing money away. I'm just taking out 20s and lighting them on fire, and I don't like to do that. So I'm super cheap. To me, when you're spending money, especially as a new investor, that marketing money costs you. That is out-of-pocket dollars. Like You are are literally going to your day job, making money, and then putting it into your marketing efforts. It's not even coming from your business yet. You're spending money on that marketing, and if you're not making offers on those leads that come in, you're throwing it away. Period. Period. That's so make, make a good point. offers on guys. Your this team. is a
0: numbers game. I said it twice now. It's the same with marketing. It's the same with appointments. It's the same with follow up, and it's the same with offers. The more offers you make, the more offers will get accepted. I say, it's just life, man. And the more it is just life. It's a numbers game, right? And the more accepted offers you get, the more closed deals you're going to get. The accepted offer isn't the uh, isn't the end. It's really like, you know, halfway. I call it the beginning of the conversation. It's the beginning of the conversation, really. I mean, with the negotiation aspect, Mm -hmm. but of the whole wholesale deal aspect, you know, A, B, B, C, you're halfway there, right? Then you got to go out and you have to sell that deal, right? So you just, you got to make offers. If you're not making offers, you're not going to do any deals. And, you know, one of the things that really upsets me is when people go and they hire coaches and they pay money for education, Um, and then they just buy more education, right? And they just keep thinking they need to know more, you know, start putting your money into marketing. I'm not saying don't hire a coach. I have a coach. I do coaching. Mike does it as well. We love doing it, but you know, putting your money into marketing is, is really where the deals are going to get done. You know, analysis paralysis is a real thing. You know, people spend 30, 40, 50 grand on mentorships and they haven't made a freaking offer.
1: It's It's terrible to me. I mean, it's
0: just, it's just
1: incredible. One of my favorite things to say before someone kind of hijacked it and took it for their program, which we we didn't end on good terms, but one of my favorite things was buy houses, not courses. Like that was one of my favorite sayings, because again, you don't need to spend $20,000 on a national gurus coaching program to be successful. Again, yes, it might make sense for you. And depending on where your business is, maybe that $20,000 coaching program is the next level up. And they're valuable. But you don't need to do it to get in real estate. You can go to a local club, get knowledge there, apply that knowledge. Like Dave said, spend it on marketing, put it in your business, boom. Yep. And you're going to learn a lot of lessons the hard way anyway.
0: So why wait to spend fifty grand on on coaching to then go spend five on marketing and fail thirty times to, before you get one? You're gonna it's gonna happen, right? Mm-hmm. So, fail fast, fail forward. I mean, it's it's, it's simple, just it's, like that. And doesn't mean you're gonna fail, but if you do, take it as a learning experience. It's not a bad thing. Here's the thing, guys:
1: you just have to get used to failing too. Yeah, you have to get
0: used to getting told to f off when you're cold calling people. I mean, you, you, have you have to get yeah, you have to get used 20. to getting laughed at when you make offers to people. It's gonna happen. Laughed but, at, cussed at, yeah. whatever. But, you know, I mean, if you do it, if you approach it right, you're not going to create enemies. You're not going to create animosity. You're just you're gonna, you know, you may have the bad apple in there, right? But it's going to happen, and it's okay, right? This is how we get paid. This is how we do deals. But we do a lot of it. Consistency is the message here. The podcast is called "Making Offers," right? And the uh, the importance of making offers, right? I think what it really comes down to, though, is the first thing we talked about, Mike you can't sell something you don't have, boom, inventory. And that's really it, it's inventory, and making offers allows you to build your inventory. And if you don't want to wholesale, fine. Keep them for rentals, fix and flip them yourself, lease option them, do whatever it is that you do, right? But you still have to have a property under contract to do any and all of those things. So if you are new to real estate, and you are struggling to do deals, I can almost guarantee you that I can pinpoint your problem right here and now. And that is is that you aren't making enough offers. You make enough, you're going to stumble on a deal. It just happens. It does. The harder I work, the luckier I get. You've heard that before. Mm -hmm. It's just experience, though. That's it. That's all it is, right? The more you do it, the better you get at it. So I don't want to beat a dead horse. Make more offers. It's so incredibly simple. This is a numbers game. If you're not doing deals, it's probably because you're not making offers or enough of them. And I challenge you to sit down and write down every time you you make an offer and tally it up. And at the end of the week or the end of the month, look at that. And then the next week or month, try to double it. Literally, double it. Right? And that's it. If you do that, you will do deals. Anything you want to end the, the show
1: with, Mike? Make more offers. Sign up.
0: Now let's go build some wealth!